I wonder what you talk about or used to talk about with colleagues in the workplace or mates that you are close with. For some, it might be sport, it might be football or cricket. For others, a particular program on the telly. Maybe you share the intimate details of family life. And then again, perhaps a hobby that you have in common. On my first day as a scientist in the civil service, I discovered that the person that I was uh, destined to share my office with, or rather I was about to share his office uh, for the next five years, um, he was involved in amateur dramatics. And not just that, but like me, he didn't go on the stage, but was involved in stage lighting, which is something that I had done from being a teenager all the way through. We had that common interest. And it meant as we chatted, we quickly built relationship. We quickly got the hang of where each other was coming from. We had something beyond the day-to-day -day chores of our work that joined us together. And although our pastime wasn't really connected in any way with our work, it helped the working relationship. It bonded us. It made us more of a team. Can the same be said, I wonder, for the working relations of the first disciples? They have a background in fishing. And the brothers James and John joining with Simon uh, and Andrew, they've got this commonality. I think it probably did help them. These four men already knew each other. They were well established. Indeed, in Luke chapter 5, James and John are said to be partners of Simon. And further, in John's gospel, Philip is also said to be from Bethsaida, called at the start of Jesus' ministry. And we often take that for Nathaniel too. So there you have six of the 12 all coming from the same small community. Half of them, half the disciples, sharing experiences of life perhaps from their childhood, knowing what the weather would be at different times of year, what the local politics were, having a similar experience of worship and views of a wider society would largely be aligned to. When we have a common story, it's 
easy to relate to one another. It's easy to journey along the same path. But in the church, we come from many different backgrounds, many different tongues. You have to get used to an accent like this. Or maybe I have to get used to yours. Our unity is in the spirit. But our interpretation is sometimes based upon things that we have encountered in the past. And those encounters are different. And so as a church, we sometimes fall down because our interpretation varies. The first few disciples don't have this problem. They have an immediate strength, a camaraderie, because they come from beside the Syrian Sea. They know what the world is like. At least they know how each other see the world. And so from the word go, or rather the word come, they are one in their thinking. Jesus hooks into the fisherman's personality with the call to fish for people, to be together, to work as a team, to do the labor, to engage in the work. But of course, there is more to it than is presented simply in Mark's gospel. This is a story that we see repeated in the other gospels. And the stories join together, bringing us a much bigger picture of what is happening. Like the others, we see here the foundation work that's been done by John the Baptist, preparing the route in the wilderness. But in those other books, we also discover that at least some of these men had already been followers of John. And we can think about the fact that their journey to discipleship doesn't start with that call to come, and it doesn't start with John in the wilderness. It probably goes back to their childhood and teachings in the family home. In Psalm 78, we read, He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they, in turn, would tell their children. There's a passing on of the message. And it is a passing on of the message that will have happened in the, in the home of Zebedee and his children. And in the home that Simon Peter came from. 
and the other disciples too. The way a Jewish family marks the Sabbath doesn't begin when they enter the synagogue on a Saturday, but by sharing a family meal on the Friday night and telling the story of how God saves his people, how he loves them, how he has something in mind for them. The fishermen of Galilee would have grown up learning of God and of his commandments. And the journey to a promised land, they would have heard this long before hearing the call to repent at the Jordan or the call of Jesus to follow. As we seek to see the kingdom come, we need to think of whether we actually first need to do a bit of groundwork, build a strong foundation underneath, engaging in relationship building. Many families today don't sit round the dinner table at all, let alone sit around the table and discuss their faith. What response is there going to be to a call to come and follow? What understanding is there of the kingdom being near if the kingdom has never been heard of and never encountered in any way? We've launched this morning our work with shoeboxes. It's a way of telling people of God's love of revealing something, of giving a gift, but also of telling the whole story, not just a Christmas present, but the story of Christ himself. And as we put our shoeboxes together, it's important to think not just of the gift that we're sending off to another country, but the gift that we have already received and the love that we have already known. We must make sure that there is something in our prayerful attitude of our mission work that will also encourage us here as well as encourage those that will receive the benefit, we get a benefit too. Calling the disciples is not Jesus' first act of ministry. The passage uh, in our NIV had that heading, the calling of the first disciples. But the first couple of verses is not the calling. It is the spreading of the message that the kingdom is near. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom that we want to see is at hand. And we have to do that spreading of that message. Jesus' first act of ministry is almost like a repeat of the message that John the Baptist had been bringing. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent. Believe the good news. And it's only after some time 
sharing that, sometime establishing his identity, and we don't know how long that period is, that he then goes on to call the disciples. It is only when there is something of the message that the disciples are going to grow and learn in that they can be ready to make that commitment of dropping their nets and following. It's only as someone who has an impression that Jesus' call to follow is heard. I'll say that again. It is only as someone who has made an impression that Jesus' call can be heard. And in Mark 1, these folk think they already know where they're going. They think they know something of what lies ahead. It allows them to participate. And in Luke's account, of course, we have a mighty miracle that might give them further encouragement, a hauling in of fish when Jesus directs them to go out into deeper water and let down the nets, even though they've tried all night to catch anything to no avail. The great challenge we have as the church is that we speak a different language from those that we are calling to repent and to believe the good news. We have a different understanding of life to many of those that have yet to encounter the living Lord Jesus. During the period of my life, which a stretch, I suppose you could say, from the, the very end of the 1960s to the 21st century, there has been great change in society. We've gone from a national understanding where having a faith, attending church, was relatively normal, if not mainstream. By the turn of the millennium, those coming of age were typically a generation where there was a sense of spirituality thought to be important, but that was not necessarily accomplished by having a particular faith. Now we are entering a time where most of the generation becoming adults do not even consider a sense of spirituality important, let alone that commitment. And so there's been this complete change. How do we say the good news is at hand to those that maybe aren't bothered about the good news at all, who don't see the need for the good news to be heard, that don't have an awareness of something greater. And so it's right that we mark the fact that we do 
as a church, have young people that do have something of that spirituality and do have something of the sense of the need to belong, to be together, to have hope in their life, you know? And speaking of which, happy birthday, Joe. But that, that sense of those who are 18 today or Peter who was 21 the other week, we have to acknowledge and try and learn from this younger generation because they see things differently to how we understand things that have grown up in the years gone by. These young men down here and up there, you know, can reveal to us something about life. But they, like the majority of young people in our church, have had the same foundation as us that are maybe a bit older and been in the church all our lives. As you reached adulthood, those of you that are a bit older, think how many were in your church that were the same age as you? How many? It's a big challenge for those today. In seeking the kingdom, we long to see people of every age, every generation, worshipping God and responding to that call to follow. But that means a focus not on the many of us who are well established and strong in faith, but those who are younger and still need encouragement. Those of us who have experienced more of life might know how God has strengthened us in difficult times. Those who are younger don't necessarily have that. Those of us with decades of reading the scriptures might have a peer group predominantly that do the same. Those who are younger don't have that. Those of us who have, for the years, prayed and seen many of our prayers answered are fortunate. Again, those who are younger don't have that experience. If we want to see younger people respond to the call to come and follow, we have a duty to show that we are following a loving God who brings hope and meaning to our life. We have a duty to nurture and also to admit that we don't always get it right. I know I don't. But Jesus makes us right with God. Because what Christ did on the cross gives us new hope. What impression do we make? Do we tell the story? And do we live the story with our life such that the call to follow is heard? Do we reflect the love of Jesus? 
or to those that are not within this group that we call the church? See us as hypocrites. Do we speak a message that other people understand, or do we simply speak gobbledygook? Sometimes it is actually those of us in the church who need to repent of elements of what we do before anyone will hear that the good news is at hand. Let us be God's people. Let us hear that call to follow, that call to be a disciple and share the hope with others in time as we have grown and learned. Let us say the kingdom of God is at hand and always praise his name.